This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. This morning's reading of God's perfect and holy word comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 21. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Good morning, First Pres. If you have your copy of God's Word, I'd ask you to have it open to our passage as I will be looking at the various verses that are there in our text. But let's just take a moment and pray together, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we do come before you. And Lord, as we've already been reminded, Lord, we come as those who have been redeemed. Redeemed from sin, redeemed from shame and guilt. And ultimately, Lord, we have been adopted into your family as children, co-heirs with Christ. What good news this is, Lord, to know that we are your children. And as your children, we've been given special privilege. And one of that privileges is to actually come boldly to the throne of grace as we're doing now and to know that we are heard. So, God, we thank you that we can come boldly before you, that we can make our requests known to you, And to know that we are heard, not because of how good we are, but because of Christ. And so, Lord, we do celebrate the finished work of Christ. We celebrate your love for sending Christ into this world to live and to die for sinners such as us. And, Lord, we do pray that we would be mindful that we have been given a task while we are here on earth to be your witnesses, to be your ambassadors, to share the good news. And so, God, we pray that we would seize every opportunity with every neighbor, with every coworker, with every family member, to proclaim the good news of Christ, the hope that we have of his finished work and the assurance of your love. And so, Lord, we do ask that you would use First Pres for your glory. We pray, Lord, that the ministries and all the activities, Lord, of this church would be used so that others who are far off might come close and walk with you. Lord, we do pray for those in our church that are struggling. We know, Lord, there are many who are struggling physically, emotionally, and spiritually, God. We pray that you would minister to each one, to each need, to each family member. God, we pray that we, as your hands and feet, may be used for your glory in this way. Whether it's through sending an encouraging card or or spending time praying with and for others. Lord, that we would be used to to ultimately declare the good message and that lives would be forever changed. Lord, we do pray 
for this sermon now. We pray for the time as we gather around your word. We pray, Lord, that we would be fed. We pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive. I pray, Lord, that you would protect my words, that I would not say anything more nor less than you've given me to say. God, I pray that I'd be faithful to your word and that you would use it for your glory. We pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Now, this week we had presbytery. Some of you may know what that is, but that's the regional collection of churches in our, in our denomination. So for ours, it makes up Michigan and Indiana and Ohio. And, and so there is the gathering of pastors and ruling elders for uh, this meeting. It's a two-day meeting. It's a Friday and a Saturday. And during that meeting, there are things that take place. But one of the major things that our, your presbytery does is it examines those who would come forward for the pastorate, whether they're transferring in or they're being ordained to the work and the call of ministry. And so this presbytery meeting, we had yet another examination. As important as those examinations are in checking someone's doctrine to make sure that what they're going to teach and preach and believe is orthodox, one of the things I think is equally important is asking questions about how they're living out their faith. Think about that for a moment. Living out your faith. How easy it is to uh, gather good information. Today we can do that through the internet. Literally, you can take seminary from home. You don't even have to come to the virtual classroom. Literally, you can sit and, and get gobs of information about the Lord Jesus Christ, about the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. One of the most dangerous things about that information is we're told that even the demons believe. They know the truth. They know who God is and they know who they are. And they know that ultimately their time is doomed because of Christ's victory. Yet they truly are not saved. How many today have heads full of knowledge, Bible information, but truly are not walking and living for Christ? I've served as a football coach, a soccer coach. I've served as a basketball coach. Coaching has been a part of my life from every respect. And let me tell you, there's something special when you have a, a crowd of athletes around you and you're looking in their eyes and they're looking in your eyes and you're sharing information. But there's something even more special when you see one or two of those athletes actually do what you've asked them to do. And you know exactly what I'm talking about because having young kids, I know that they can look at you and nod their head and all the time never do what you ask them to do. The truth is that that can be seen also in the church of Christ. Many who knock their, or shake their heads yes, but don't live it out. Our text this morning is specifically about the living out of the gospel of Christ, the living out of the hearing of the truth. Uh, this is interesting because our text comes right after Jesus had preached a parable about the four different types of soil. And only one of those four was actually a good recipient of the seed. There was only one that truly had lasting growth and produced a hundredfold. And Jesus seems to be carrying that same idea on as he begins in verse 16 of chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, look at verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it up on a stand 
so that those who enter may see the light. I draw your attention to this verse as this verse really sets the agenda for what Jesus is now talking about. As Jesus moves from the idea of good soil and talking about what are we doing with the information that we have been given. The idea here of the lamp or the light is the idea of the gospel. The truth of who God is and what Christ has come to do. What are we doing with that light? Of course, uh, Jesus, in only a way that he can, says it would be foolish to cover up a lamp. It would be foolish to stick it under a bed. No, those who truly have been given this light put it on a stand so that it might light the way for others. This idea is exactly what Jesus is saying when he says, let your light so shine. He does that in Matthew chapter 5 where he calls those who are hearing him that if you truly believe this message, let your light so shine. Friends, the light is the gospel, and that light offers brilliance of of, of visibility, but it also offers warmth and heat. And so as we look at this verse, in verse 16, we see that no one should cover it up. No one should bury it under their bed, but they should lift it up so that all the world can see. This idea of light is interesting. There are some scholars who believe that really what Jesus was pointing to was the light, uh, the light stand in the tabernacle or the temple. That he was talking about that light stand that never went out. It was always burning. The priest's job was to make sure that the light was always being bearing witness of God's presence there in the temple. There are others who say, no, what he's really talking about is the oil lamps at home and how people are using them. Because Jesus has a way of talking about our natural duties, our natural responsibilities. And who in their home wants to live in darkness? Surely we don't, so we don't cover up the light, we don't bury it under our beds. What we do is we lift it up, we we want to make sure that it shines in the whole room. As a child, I remember hearing a song that you may know as well, This Little Light of Mine. I remember as a little boy being taught to hold up my finger, and as we sang it, we would sing, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No, right? We would scream that out in class. Hide it under a bushel? No. It seemed insane. Why would you cover up the light? We want to let the light shine. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. And that's exactly what my Sunday school teachers taught me as a little boy. My job was to let the light shine. Let me tell you, I grew up in a home with a mom who was very faithful to the gospel, faithful to getting us to church. But at that time in my life, my dad was not a believer. And I remember hearing that song and remembering that I had a responsibility to let my light shine at home. Not just with my neighbor friends, not just with my football team, not just with those in school, but I had a responsibility to make sure that that light shined around my father. How many of us have unsaved loved ones? How many of us have individuals in our families that we beg and we pray, God, please just work in their heart, change them? The question Jesus would ask is, are you letting your light shine? Are you making sure that you're not hiding it under the bed or covering it with a dish? Are you making sure that the gospel is seen through you, through your words, as well as through your actions? Listen to what James writes in James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. 
He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Friends, how many of us know the right theological answer and we can espouse it? We may type it on Facebook, but we don't really do anything for anyone else. We're not truly seeking to be the light that Christ has called us to be. This is why James said in James chapter 2, verse 17, that same chapter where he talks about giving people what they need, he says, faith without works is dead. Listen to the seriousness of that statement faith without works is dead now luther had a real problem with that if you remember luther's own testimony he was coming out of a church background that didn't preach salvation by christ alone they preached salvation by what you did. And so when Luther reads something like this, it made the hair on his neck stand up. In fact, he really had a problem with the book of James. But see, when we understand James is saying that the fruit, the works, is the benefit of one who has a changed life, we truly understand that there is a role and responsibility for works in our lives. Works that are God-glorifying. Works that ultimately show we love our neighbor. There's a place for them, not to earn salvation, but a place to give testimony of the grace we ourselves have received from God. Friends, I think about an example in the Bible as I was preparing the sermon, and the individual who kept coming to mind, who really lived in many ways, faith and works very well, was Daniel. Daniel lived in a time when he was in exile, he was part of those taken into captivity because of Israel's disobedience. He lived in the southern kingdom, and he lived in the Judah region, and he was taken into Babylon. And well there, he did not sit back and wasn't just a hater of everyone and everything around him. No, in fact, what we see in Daniel was that he was a very good worker. He used his energy. He used his resources. And all the while, he was loyal to his God. His loyalty, his faithfulness, got him seen in the eyes of the king who praised him. The king who kept moving him up the ladder because he saw in Daniel one who was faithful. But this faithfulness got him into trouble with his co-workers who didn't like his work ethic. They didn't like his faithfulness. They didn't like the way he loved God and loved others. And so they lied about him. And eventually, Daniel ends up in the lion's den. The truth of the matter is that when we live in a world like today, we can feel like exiles. And at times we can begin to close our arms and sit back and grumble and complain. But I would lift up Daniel as an example of the way a Christian should walk. Now, was Daniel perfect? No. Christ was perfect. And we see Christ in the way he lived out his faithfulness, even when they took him to the cross. A cross he did not deserve, but he went willingly like a lamb to the slaughter. He did this for us. How do we respond? How do we live? See, are we bearing light like we've been called to be? Or do we hide it under a bushel when we don't like our circumstance? When we don't like the things that are going on around us? That's the example that we see in Daniel. That's the example we see from the perfect one, Christ. See, who we really are will be made known. That's what the text says. Who we really are, what's going on really inside of us, will be known. There's no hiding our true identity. Listen to verse 17. 
For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. The idea of who we really are will be made known because our actions speak even louder than our words. See, showing your light matters, for nothing is hidden from God. We may be able to fool a lot of people. In fact, we may even be able to fool ourselves. But friends, we can never fool God at any time. The writer of Proverbs in Proverbs 4.23 says, The issue is really the heart. Listen to what he writes. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything we do, every action we take flows from our heart. Our heart says a lot about truly, do we love God and do we love our neighbor? And this is what it is to bear witness in a community that is ultimately sinful and wicked and dark, that so desperately needs the truth of the gospel. So friends, I ask you this morning, are you shining the light bright? Are you shining the light bright? See, the question goes on, though, to a deeper question. Are we even really listening? Are we really hearing? Look at verse 18. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. In verse 18, he makes it a point that we're to take care of how we listen, how we hear, specifically God's word. How are we responding to it? Are we truly hearing it, or are we like my stubborn children who shake their head yes, but really by their actions show no? How easy that is for us in our own churches, in our own way of walking and living to do. We can teach and preach and speak the doctrine, but are we really living it out? He goes on to say, really hearing really requires listening ears. But more than listening ears, it requires a soft heart. And it requires hands that are willing to serve. So it requires ears, hearts, and hands. That's what true listening looks like. If we understood this, we would understand what James says in chapter 1, verse 22. When he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, he adds this little phrase at the end, deceiving ourselves. See, that's the truth. We can deceive ourselves. We can begin to think that we're okay and everybody else is the problem. But that's not what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is teaching if we're really hearing the word of God, we're willing ultimately to surrender to his will, to love his will, to do his will. There's an old theologian by the name of Thomas Boston. He wrote a long exposition specifically on this verse, verse 18, as he began to talk about what does it really mean for us to hear God's word. He said something like this. Some things precede hearing God's word. And what was he referring to? But prayer. Prayer should always precede hearing God's word. And why do we pray? We pray that we would be given insight, that we would be given understanding. We pray that we would be given soft hearts to receive it. 
Thomas Boston goes on, some things go along with hearing God's word. What types of things would he be referring to there? Our attention. How often as a teacher of history, as soon as I said, okay, open your history books, all the students would go, oh, no one likes to learn history. I tried everything I could to make it exciting. I would dance on desks. I would scream at the top of my lungs that, hey, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. But it didn't seem to make a difference, except to a few students who really gave me their attention and their grades showed it. Thomas Boston goes on to say, it's not just things we do that precede hearing it. It's not just things that we do while we're hearing it. It's also the things that follow hearing it. That means we're truly listening. What is he referring to there? Obedience. Practice. Living out what it says. See, that's the true mark of one who truly hears. They actually practice what the Bible preaches. The scary part of this whole 18 verse is that there's a warning. And that warning is embedded in this, that we need to use what we've been given or we will lose it. We need to use what we've been given or we will lose it. Now, when I was in high school, I took Spanish. If you came up to me and spoke some Spanish to me, I wouldn't know a thing you're saying. I don't practice it. I didn't stay on top of it. And because of that, I'm ashamed to admit I've lost it. How true that is in today's day and age when we look around at a country that had a huge understanding of the Bible to today where most people are ignorant, illiterate concerning the Bible. If we don't use it, we lose it. And this is exactly what Jesus is warning. If we use it, more will be given. But if we don't use it, what we even have will be taken away. This is a warning that each and every one of us should heed. One theologian pointed out, those who listen with faith and obedience will be given more insight, while the indifferent, the disobedient, will lose what little they have. So friends, which are you? Because the question I've been asking myself this week is, which am I? Am I using it or am I losing it? See, are we really listening is the question. Are we really listening and hearing God's word? Jesus then gives a poignant example as he explains this really all comes down to the question of, do you bear the family resemblance? Look at verses 19 through 21. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. See, the family resemblance wasn't simply that he was born in the family, that he shared the same bloodline as Mary. That, that's not what the family resemblance that Jesus was most concerned with. It was the spiritual connection, the spiritual resemblance. 
And that's why Jesus will boldly say that ultimately what really matters is those who hear and do the word of God. They're the ones who are truly in the family. Friends, many claim today to have and be in the family of God. But it's those who really hear and do that are truly in the family of God. So many in today's church often try to conform God to their will, to their way, to their purpose, rather than seeking to be conformed by God's will, God's way, God's purpose. That's a hard line because ultimately all of us struggle. Am I submitting to God or am I asking God to submit to me? See, the point is family resemblance. But we're trying oftentimes to make God look like us when really we should be seeking to reflect Him and His holiness. Who we resemble matters. That's Jesus' point right here in an illustration of His mother and brothers. Who we resemble matters. Friends, according to the Old Testament as well as the New True believers have always been given a gift from God, and that gift is the new heart. Listen to what the prophet Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 36, beginning at verse 26. God says, I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone from you and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Do you see that? The new heart of the gospel, the new heart of regeneration, the new heart of the new birth that Nicodemus struggled to understand in John 3 was a heart that desires to love and obey God. Oftentimes when I talk about this, I talk about the three Gs, the fact that we're all born guilty in Adam. But by the grace of God, Jesus Christ has come to set us free. And for those who truly have received that grace, their hearts are filled with gratitude that they would honor him with all they have. We don't put the gratitude or the works or the effort before grace. It's not how we earn grace. Grace is a free gift. But grace is when it's truly given and received, the appropriate response to that grace is always gratitude. So friends, I ask you this question. Are you sharing the family's resemblance? Some may presume, well, I'm in the church. I've been baptized in the church. My grandparents were members of the church. But what Jesus is asking is, are you in me? And do you bear my resemblance? For I and the Father are one. Does your life look and pursue the things that we pursue, the holiness we love? That's the sign of one being in the family. Church, as we look at this, we recognize so clearly that Jesus is stressing the importance of bearing light. And that bearing light comes down to really hearing, really listening. And those who really listen are doers of the word and not hearers only. And by being doers of the word, we bear testimony of the fruit of the new heart we've been given. The change that has occurred. 
we bear the mark of the family resemblance. That's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is going back and talking about that one good soil where the seed was planted, it was watered and it grew, and it bared a hundredfold. That's the sign of one who truly is in the family. So what about you? And what about me? Where are we? See, being in the light matters. We're in an earth full of darkness, discouragement, sadness, pain. Being light matters. First time I realized that was when I entered a prison to serve as, an, as a basically a resident. I was serving alongside one of the chaplains in a maximum security prison. I remember the feeling as I walked in and had to walk through metal detectors. I remember the feeling when I would hear the clinking of the doors. I remember the feeling when I would see all of the inmates and the way they acted. I realized this is such a dark place. But I remembered I was called there to serve as light, even in the darkest place of prison. One day, my resident uh, mentor gave me a job to push the book cart along in the solitary confinement cells. I remember how scared I was. The, the aisleway wasn't very long, and I hovered over as close as I could to the far right to be away from anyone who might reach out and try to grab me. After all, I was only in my 20s. I, I didn't look like a football player. I looked more like a soccer player. So I, didn't have the, I had a lot of fear that, that something could happen to me in this place. And I remember as I walked by the first cell, and my job was to ask, would you like a book? My job was really to push the Bible. <laughs> But I would ask, would you like a book? And I would get growled at. I would get sneered at. Horrible things were said until finally I reached one cell where a young man ran up to the Gabars. He said, would you talk with me? I'm scared. I'm alone. And you look safe. It was in that time that I talked to him about the good news of Jesus. I was able to give him a Bible. He shared things that were on his heart, brokenness, sadness over things he had done. But all the while, I kept pointing him to the hope of Jesus. I'm not saying that my light was a beaming, radiant uh, affair there in the prison, but he could tell there was something different. And he decided that day to talk to me. Friends, who in your life is seeking for hope? is looking for light in this dark world? Who has God placed in your life and given you opportunities to declare the good news of the gospel to? Trust me, they're watching. They see your actions. They hear your words. They want to know your hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close our Bibles, as we step away from this challenging text, because, Lord, any time we read in the Bible a call to action, we realize how far we fall short. And yet, Lord, we know the good news of the gospel tells us Jesus never fell short. So we cling to Jesus. We look for that gift of the Holy Spirit who indwells us and empowers us, who calls us and leads us and gifts us with abilities that we need to bear witness of the kingdom. Lord, you've left us here to be your ambassadors. 
You've called us to go make disciples. Lord, may the light shine bright from our lampstands. May you be glorified and those who are far off come running to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.